All right, guys. Roy here. You're listening to another episode of the Balance Mill Podcast series, and I am here with Pat Ryan to do another dad talk. So, hi, Pat. How you doing? Hey, Roy. I'm good. This tea's good. <laughs> yeah, like always for the dad talks, I like to ask them what they want to drink, and Pat said he wanted tea, which is, I was a little taken aback because I thought it would be coffee. Because that's how we met, was through coffee. At Zeke's. Yeah, at Zeke's. Um, why don't you, do you remember how we met? No, I'm going to let you go with it. <laughs> I just remember going in there all the time and you being there. Yeah, we, uh, I was working at Zeke's at the oceanfront. And you were coming in, um, well, Zeke's is a, it was a coffee shop and a pokey place. And an acai bowl place, which three things that don't make sense together. But it worked. <laughs> And can, I guess it still works because yeah, um, numerous ones they've done a good job. Yeah, they. Uh, so you were coming in to get coffee, and then you were coming in to do construction at Back Bay. Mm. So the brewer, the brewery Did next door. Did you expect door. me to say beer? <laughs> well, most most dads, it's been something that has to do with alcohol. I don't know if that's because they're stressed out or why but it's been stouts it's been one guy wants paps and jameson uh some people just want ipas the first guy all he did was want coffee so that's cool i definitely it's not about drinking it's more of sharing in something that the dad loves because when you're yeah because when you're you're drinking something or eating something you like you're sort of more open so that's why so i would normally say coffee would be the answer but i did a uh i, I peed on some ph trips about a week ago and my mm-hmm. ph levels were super super low so super acidic and um. i'm actually trying to just give my body a break um. so i kind of cut out coffee and i cut out processed foods and i cut out meats and all that stuff which I, I won't do long term, but I'll do for a short period of time. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just trying to alkalize. Is that a right, the right word? Uh, my body. Alkaline. Alkaline. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there you go. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, my body and and uh, yeah, just yeah, be healthier. Yeah, I definitely. You know, my my life has been coffee, and I've had to take some. You have to take breaks. Have you tried alkaline water? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everybody has, but I mean, even more than that, you just gotta eat, eat your veggies. You it's know? true. Mm-hmm. I've uh, we have a uh, Carly's in her office. She has a uh, filter that can raise and lower the pH of the water from to all the way acidic and all the way basic. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we have a jug in my kitchen. I don't know if you noticed that, but it is full of. It's on a pH of nine, uh, which is more al- more basic. Yeah, more basic. Yeah. More basic. Man, if I had known that, I would have told you to fill me up with some 14 on the scale and <laughs> chug some of those. Jeez. I'm Jeez. I'm kidding. So, so let's get this started. You're, so you're a dad. And um, how many kids do you have? If you want to say their names or how old they are, let us know. So, so I claim two. Okay. Uh, my ex-wife had a child beforehand and I, we were friends for numerous years before we even got married or even before we started dating. And he, um, man, I remember when she got pregnant with him and I've 
known him since he was born, and I went to a surf contest this morning where he was surfing at. Oh, wow. So I, I always feel odd and want to explain the situation, but he's a massive part of my life. He will always be. He's 16 and a half now, so you know the fact that he calls me every once in a while and still wants to get, get coffee or, you know, go get ice cream or something like that is uh, is pretty important and critical. Mm-hmm. Well, not critical. It's probably a bad, bad word for it, but very important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, he's he always will be. Uh, he's got a great dad, so it's not like he's lacking a father mm-hmm. figure. Cool. So it's, it's really cool just to have that relationship still. And then I have a 12-year-old who lives with me uh, full-time and – yeah, it's awesome. So nice. I know. I know a lot of the dads that you've had on here probably had uh, a lot younger kids. Mm-hmm. So sixteen and twelve. It's 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 interesting, man. Man, I, yeah. Um, just about all of them have been younger. There was one kid who's middle school, but everyone has been either real recent fathers or. Um, they're like two or three. So I think it's cool to have someone who's been in it a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what was your kid's like birth story, if you remember? Um, yeah, it's interesting. You, you, guys, you guys typically talk, uh, you've talked about uh, a lot of details. I can tell you this, it was 12 years ago. the 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 one the one main thing that i remember is uh he came out and it didn't even come out uh we we didn't do all you know nowadays you see so much more of the the at-home birth stuff and Mm -hmm. and everything uh we went to the hospital um she was barely dilated and but enough to stay and about an hour later they uh, the nurse came in to, to check and uh, basically was like, holy crap, we're going to have a baby and it's going to happen right now. And she pretty much had to hold uh, my son's head from, oh, wow. popping, from popping out. And uh, and was that was one hand. The other hand was on the microphone yelling, like, get the nurse or get the doctor in here right now. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, as soon as that happened, we were, we were holding... Uh, yeah, a little bundle of joy. So, that's that's my birth story. That's that's all I really. Those are the highlights of it. Still, like I, you know, I, I don't remember all the details and all that stuff. Still, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> did uh, did your parents talk about your birth story with you, or do you know much about that? No. Wow. Yeah. I you know, no. That's cool. Not really. Um, I do know that, and I don't know if I don't think it was me. I think it was my brother actually the only story that that had any kind of uh funniness or you know any significance to it whatsoever besides just, you know i felt like when i was a kid like my, my family that i grew up in it was very oh, standard middle america type stuff yeah. uh my mom did go into labor with one of us i don't even know who it was i needed i should probably know that at my godparents' house, uh, who was skipping Daphne Wilkins. I don't know if that name rings a bell at all or not. So I, I, I believe that's a true story. Maybe I'm just making it up in my head, but that's kind of the only <laughs> thing that really jumps out at all about any of yeah. it. So. Yeah. I mean, the only real thing I remember 
from mine I've talked about before is my mom said I I went in on Monday you popped out on Wednesday yeah. you were taking your time um, I mean I remember when I first came out and I saw the world for the first time no I'm just kidding that didn't happen <laughs> of course there we go <laughs> my dad looked at me and said yeah. hi that he loved me no um, so what was what was your dad like uh <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. I I had I was a um, I was blessed more than probably ninety five percent of people, and and maybe that's even a conservative number. Uh, my dad was, um, you know, and I know everybody says that their dad was great, but my dad was great. Mm-hmm. He uh, his nickname was Friendly Frank. Uh, I would come home some days and all my friends were at my house and they were hanging out with my dad even when I wasn't there. Um, Our house was always the house that, you know, I have two older brothers. All of their friends were always at at our house. You know, that was the place that people hung hung out all the time. Um, He was the epitome of a positive example um, and really just lived that and accepted everybody. and really gave me an example of, and, and not just me, everybody else around me, an example of how to treat people and how to be kind and how to be compassionate and how to love and, and do all those things that, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are lacking. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. It, and even even friends of mine that didn't have uh, parental figures that were good examples, um, I think he filled that void for a lot of people. So, Wow. Yeah, you probably didn't expect to hear that, did you? No, I don't. I <laughs> never know what to expect <laughs> with this. Um, I do love hearing stories of, of people whose family, like their house was the house that everyone came to. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was sort of like that. My friends were not as close in the neighborhood, but it was always an open door. Um, so what have you, from your dad's example, what have you taken into your life as a dad? Uh, what have I taken? He was always a part of everything. Okay. You know, he, he, um, we, I played baseball growing up and he was the guy, he sold men's clothing. So he, he had (laughs) really nice clothes all the time on, you know, he sold suits and things like that. And it was funny because he would leave the store and he was the guy at the baseball field on the back of the lawnmower sitting on the metal grate that they had to drag the field out with because there wasn't sandbags anywhere in a $2,000 suit, not thinking twice about it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it was pretty interesting. He was always a part of it. And I've kind of turned around, and for me, I think the presence of a parental figure in a child's life is more important than anything else. You don't have to do a good job. You're going to make mistakes. It's constant. We all screw up. Uh, but just the fact that you're there and you're trying and and you're a part and you care enough to be there is the thing that's probably the most important thing mm-hmm. that I've taken away with. Yeah, you're not the, the first guy to come on here and talk about that word presence. I'm finding that as a big um, recurring theme when it comes to being a dad is a presence being there 
um, my dad was a presence as well. He was always, <clears throat> I think, he was just always there. If I needed anything, if, I, if we were going to something, he was there. And I think it does something to a kid to know that there is a place. And 100%. a person, yeah. Do you do you believe that? Too? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, um, it's like you just—it's just—it's funny when these these patterns show up. Presence, you know, and it's it's so simple, but it almost feels like it's one of the hardest things to do because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who aren't present and don't have presence. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why. Why do you, you know? Uh, ultimately, I think it leads back to. You know, it's it's interesting. I'm gonna backtrack for one second. Do it uh, and, and not say that it's um, a lot of my friends now. I, I was I was pretty young when I had uh, you know my son. Mm-hmm. I'm 38 now. That was 12 years ago. You know, do the math. What is that? 26. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the other one's 16. So it's uh, yeah, I was pretty young, mm-hmm. and. I felt privileged to be able to experience a lot of this stuff before the rest of my friends. Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of my friends and now having babies for the first time, and and uh, it's interesting because one of the things that I describe that I that I usually say is like, look, you're not gonna know what true love is until you have a child. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to know what selfishness, or you're not going to know the true difference between selflessness and selfless love and selfishness uh, until you witness, like, a creature, a, a being, a soul that that you created yourself. Um, and when you do, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna experience a love that you've never felt before, and that's indescribable. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of my friends have kind of looked at me and they're like, yeah, yeah, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm, I can't describe it. You know, it's, it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about when it happens. And, you know, sure enough, nine out of ten of them have been like, oh, my God. Dude, you nailed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the crazy thing is this. Like, them being 12 and 16 now at this point – that feeling continues to grow and mm-hmm. it constantly grows. And it's, it's a scale that once you start experiencing more and more of life with them side by side, it's uh, it's pretty spectacular. Like, you know, the first time your, your, your child opens their eyes and looks at you and you lock eyes or the first time, you know, they start talking. And then, you know, in my scenario, this is very unique to me, but I think it's very similar to other people. You know, you, you you're sitting in the back of the car, or they're sitting in the back of the car, and they're carrying on a full conversation with you with sentences and everything else, and you're like, "Holy crap! I'm talking to this kid! Like, how great is this? This is like my son. Um, like, who are you? Where'd you come from? That you just said that? Uh, and then even farther, like, being able to, you know, I went from pushing my son into waves to being able. I remember the first time that, actually before that even happened i remember the first time we were at the rock gym and i started experiencing stuff with him he was on an auto belay and he was climbing up the wall and he was doing it on his own i didn't have to do it for him and i was on the wall right next to him climbing and just like we were both doing something and experiencing that and i was like man this is freaking awesome Mm -hmm. uh 
And then it got into the ocean and surfing and like, you know, I wasn't pushing him into waves anymore. He was actually paddling out in the lineup and catching waves on his own. I was like, okay. Nice. It, and it continues to grow and grow and grow into now I'm seeing the way that he treats other people and the empathy. My son is extremely empathetic. Uh, and the empathy that he has and the kindness that he has and the soul that he has and witnessing not only, um, you know, you have a certain level of control over a younger child. And now that I'm seeing him turn into a person that's experiencing the world on his own, like, you know, they go to school long enough. It's, it's, you know, they're starting to experience life outside of your, your control and your domain. Now I'm seeing like, just the goodness and the kindness and witnessing those things and having conversations with him that I never expected to have about life and about girls and about, you know, all those other aspects of it. It's pretty rad. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I I, honestly, I don't even remember where you first went with that question, but like, it's just an evolution of selflessness Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can't describe yeah. What was, what was our initial question right there? Talk the, about ADD tangents. I can get on them every now and then. They usually come. No, it's it's up. fine. I think it was talking about presence and how it's hard for people to be present. It's hard for men to be present as fathers because it's it's the one thing that you hear people like. I hear people my age. I wish my dad was there more. I wish my dad would have done this. I wish my dad was around. And so it's this constant thing that it it, it seems so easy. Like just be around. But it's one of the one things that so much of us lack, and it can be the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. So that's where it kind of went. But I think you talking about the selflessness is kind of... So I think think that's the thing. The key thing is it's the dads that turn in. This is exactly why I went down that rabbit hole right there. Okay, we got it. So it's it's the key thing. It's the selflessness um, that... I think that really is the most important aspect mm-hmm. of why dads are what they are, you know, and that goes back to mental health. It goes back to who you are mm-hmm. before you're a parent. It goes back to your parents before then, the generations being passed down to generations of, of blessings and curses and the examples that mm-hmm. you were given beforehand. It's, um, yeah, I had a very present selfless dad, you know, he put us first and, that's why he was there. That's why he was present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's why the same thing. That's why I turned around and I've done it to my, my son and my, my, my boys. Like, you know, it's, it's a selflessness. Like, trust me, man, there are things that I would much rather do than sit at a freaking gym for a wrestling tournament all dang day long. And that's what I did last weekend. <laughs> and it was because yeah. I knew that it meant more to him than it does me like I, I have a million things that I could do for work or for you know just I, I skipped the gym that day and I would have loved to go to it but it was more important to me to be there for him mm-hmm. and that's just where I'm at and like in my life right now more than anything else that's where I've been for the last 12 years and it's interesting because as they turn it like the 16 year old he's not with me every single day he is off on his own he's doing his own thing he's got his own friends He's 16 and a half. He just got his license and is like, see a world. Like he's oh, of course. already mm-hmm. like, he's going to be a world traveler. I, I know it. His uncle is, um, his dad's brother is. And, 
uh, he's already going to see his cousin at JMU all the time, and hopefully they're not getting in too much trouble up there. But uh, you know, he's 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 doing that stuff. He's a junior. He he's all over the place, and uh, you know, so so I, I I don't spend as much time with him. That said, being a parent is a very short time period, mm-hmm. and. I know that I've got plenty of time for myself afterwards, and the most important thing in my life is being there for them. And already, like, just seventh grade from elementary school, like, oh, I was my son's world. Like, he wanted to hang out with Dad all the time. And now he's like, I'm like, hey, wh- wh- what are we going to do tonight? You know, on a Friday after school. Uh, I don't know. Can, can can my buddy come over and spend the night tonight? I'm like, wait, you, you don't want to hang with me? <laughs> Like, oh, and he's he's on the phone all the time, yeah. and he's like, uh, he's man, I can go on a long thing with this, but like he's constantly he plays a lot of video games, and they all do, and it's not the video games that you and I, it's not, it's not even the concept that you and I have. It is literally how all of the kids today interact. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they're all online and they're all talking, and if you take that away from them, it's like. He's like an outcast all of a sudden, mm-hmm. which I guess isn't the worst thing in the world if you do it correctly. But, you know, at the same time, like he wants to hang with his buddies and talk to them. And it's, you know, that's, yeah, it's interesting. So now I'm starting to get a lot of that, you know, time for myself back. But it's only because I've been so selfless yeah. this whole time. So I like that. I like your perspective on it. And um, it brought up a point with the video games <laughs> because I was listening to it's a podcast. Well, yeah, but I think I think we can uh, kind of where I'm going with this. I think it'll be all right. Cool. So um, this guy was talking on this podcast about how we have all these people that, that look at like screens and telephones and video games as like this isn't how we did it. And 100%. And this is wrong. And the guy was saying how. I hate to break it to those people. They're not going anywhere. Well, yeah, that's what he was saying. He was saying how, like, you have to kind of pause for a second and think, well, your life, how you existed when you were a kid, is not the way these kids are living their lives. There's there's so many things that are different, and so you can approach it as that it's wrong, or you can do a thing of where you kind of mourn what was and look at, like, how can you do this? How can you use screens, these video games, this the way that life is so fast? How can you use it in a positive way? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the approach I hope to take. Because um, you mentioned it, like, these kids are playing these video games. It's not that they're, like, sitting on a screen and just looking at these characters. Like, they're talking and interacting with their friends. Every single one of their buddies is on there talking to them. It's yeah. It's like a big group chat. It's pretty yeah. crazy. So it's like, it's not necessarily that they're they're existing and having friends and a social network, but it doesn't look like our social network or what we grew up in. You want to know one of the things that is the most important to me about this whole thing and why I don't have a problem with them having the social media stuff, and and I'm strict on that too. Like, Mm -hmm. they don't just have... You know, it, you know, my son doesn't just have like full access to social media and stuff like that, but I've allowed him to because, and he's usually one of the last people to get it in his class and his grade. Like some of these kids have phones right off the bat. Yeah. It's because ultimately I've taken responsibility for teaching him how to make the difference, be, the, the choice between right and wrong. 
And mm. I'll tell you one thing that I remember about you when we very first met is you used to always say, oh, I'm like worked up about this right now. I'm say, excited about it. Right? I'm excited to see what you're going to say. As soon as I left, what did you always tell people when, when they left? <laughs> I used to say make good choices. Make good choices. <laughs> I use that line to this day because of Roy. Yes. Yeah. I tell my son when he goes to school, make good choices today. And, you know, whether those choices mean like, hey, don't look at stuff that you shouldn't be looking at because it's always going to be there. You have to make a good choice not to look at it. And I can try to protect him and keep Mm -hmm. him, keep all these bad things away from him. But we have friends that, you know, I went to a very conservative Christian high school and Mm -hmm. elementary school and middle school and the whole nine yards. And I have friends that their parents smothered them and kept them away from the real world so much that once they got out in the real world, they wanted to experience it all. And for me, I never had that. Like, even though I went to that, uh, the schools and stuff like that, my dad was always very open to a lot of things. And it was really a matter of like, you can't, you can't, and that's really the, it comes from a place of fear as a parent that you just want the best for your kids. So there's no, animosity or hard feelings towards those parents like and you have to realize that but at the same time like you can never protect your children as they get older you learn that you can never protect them from all the bad things that are in the world Mm -hmm. what you can do is you can instill in them morals and integrity and the true definition of love which ultimately is like the end of the day like as cheesy as it is like beatles like Mm -hmm. that's the most important thing in the world like how many songs they sing about it right um you have to instill in them those core beliefs of morality and integrity and and those principles and they're always going to make the good i shouldn't even say they're always they're going to make good choices and they're going to mess up Mm -hmm. and they need to know that there's compassion and there's forgiveness Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff for those mistakes but it's that drive deep down inside to, to do uh, the difference between right and wrong. And I think everybody has it. And you just have to make sure that people recognize it, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, that's cool. It's, it's like it's not making this – it's not making the thing like the social media, the video games, the, these things wrong. It's, it's sort of focusing on the ins, installation of – foundation beliefs Mm -hmm. and so that's pretty cool um i guarantee you in 20 years from now there's gonna be something else and it's not gonna be tiktok yeah or Mm -hmm. snapchat Mm -hmm. or instagram and they're gonna have to deal with those you Mm -hmm. know and it's a matter of instilling core beliefs the difference between right and wrong and the ability to make good choices that are gonna be positive choices that are Mm -hmm. gonna benefit them in the future and then not using these screens and these things as the babysitter. Oh god! <laughs> we don't. We can, We don't need to get into that. It's funny that you mentioned the make I it. I say, choice. oh god, I shouldn't. I shouldn't respond like that. I, I've been there. I've done that. It happens. Um, it's funny that you remember the make good choices. It started as a joke. It really was with my roommates when they would leave the house. We'd go make good choices, and we'd go okay, whatever. And then I started doing it at this coffee shop that I worked at in Atlanta. And uh, I would do it to middle schoolers and high schoolers mm-hmm. to kind of mess with them because they would always do that little look back and like, what? Did he just say that? But you're not the first person that's done it. There was this guy. Um, his nephew was in jail. And um, he wrote him every week. 
and he wrote make a choices at the end of it um because of like just what he thought just like you said and uh the guy in jail the guy no he wrote it to he wrote he wrote make good choices at the end of the letter that he would send to his nephew in jail who was in jail who was in jail and uh he uh i think he ended up telling me that he got out on good behavior and it was because of that um we had this high school that they did a uh alcohol awareness program and they made these little bracelets that were black that said make good choices because the mom was in there and thought it was cool. So it's silly, but it's true. It's like if you can help these kids to understand the difference between right and wrong and using things in a positive way, they can um, – it instills in them that foundational belief that they can handle these things a little bit better. So that's cool. Um, Thank you, Roy. <laughs> So make good choices, guys. Um, so like, what's been, like, what's been kind of the funniest thing for you, um, being a dad? And I'll give you a second as you make your. Oh, there you go. You made your tea. Good. Funniest thing, man. That's a tough question. Um, I'll tell you a funny one that's happening right now. Is uh, I shaved my beard the other day. Uh huh. And I left a goatee and my son was like that's hideous dad like what are you doing <laughs> i was like all right yeah yeah man i'm not gonna walk around with a goatee for for i, I can't pull that off it's just yeah look like a <laughs> no <laughs> so i i walked back in the bathroom and shaved some more and i got rid of the goatee and it turned into like i think we've as a guy yeah. well most of us have done this yeah. uh the progression from beard to goatee to Hulk Hogan handlebar mustache yes. to mm-hmm. small mustache or large mustache to small mustache to uh, it's all gone. What am I thinking? It has been a pretty common progression, right? So I got to like the 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 handlebar esque in between Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. and a regular mustache, and I was like, ooh, I'm gonna roll with this for a little bit and see what happens. And I walked back out, and he was like, oh, my God, dude, just get rid of it, man. What are you doing? Like, you can't pick me up from school like that. And I was like, yes, I can. Challenge accepted. (laughs) And so a week and a half later, I still have it. And it's crazy because I keep on getting compliments. And I kind of dig it. Good. Go for it. It was kind of one of those, like, outside of your ego uh, outside of your comfort zone things. Like I was walking around with it for the first couple of days and now I forgot about it. And yeah. I'm like, man, I'm going to roll with the stash for a while and see what happens. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I get, there's this twinge in my heart whenever people talk about facial hair because I, I was not blessed with that. That's I, why I corrected myself a second ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never get to know what that feels like. Yeah. I have I have my my little chin beard that I I do every now and then, but uh, yeah I don't get to I'll do that. I wonder if I always wonder if you know my kid will, will have that. You know only time will tell. Well, that's funny. It's funny how facial hair. I don't know if that's a male or a female gene. You yeah. better hope it's a female one. Well I know I'm bald. That Carly's. <laughs> got a lot of facial hair. Sorry. Thanks for that. Yeah, my wife does not have a beard, so we'll just say that. Um, <laughs> it's funny how facial hair is a good dividing line. It's a it's a big thing for people. Like you can you you can easily tell 
people who will enjoy it and people that hate it and who's going to talk to you and who's not going to talk to you all solely based on your facial hair it's a funny thing yeah i I got nothing no comeback for that yeah um (laughs) i mean i honestly i i i have always kind of had a beard since the since the time i could grow a beard besides when i worked in a restaurant and they made me shave and Mm -hmm. that was yeah ever since then i've had one and uh part of it is and, and this is this is potentially a rabbit hole but part of it is like just self-acceptance because i like i just didn't like the way i looked without a beard Mm -hmm. like i didn't like to be clean shaven and it wasn't it was like literally an insecurity thing so yeah now i've just grown to love it like i am just like don't think twice about it but yeah and it's funny that you say it's like self-acceptance because you know i noticed in the last few years beards are not what they used to be like when you think about and maybe it's the same thing with tattoos like people with beards used to be these burly men that lived in woods that never they never shaved and it was this i don't know it was this weird like masculine thing and i'm not saying that like people with beards aren't masculine were were they covered in sawdust (laughs) they might have been (laughs) um and also like tattoos like people with tattoos were like you didn't mess with them but now, like people, like people have beards for fashion. People have tattoos for oh, fashion, for sure. you know. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't. This might be something weird. It's almost like you don't. I don't trust the people with the beards that they have it because of like a <laughs> thing. It's just more of a like I. I like sweaters and I like beards, so I have a beard and I wear a sweater or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Does that yeah. make There's sense? There's definitely something attached to society today. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I mean, there's people that have beard competitions. You know, they grow beards to compete. Yeah, I, mean, I could be wrong in saying this, but <clears throat> I feel like there is a uh, studies done about female attractiveness to men with beards and mm-hmm. things like that. So now all the guys are trying to grow big, thick, burly beards. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah we need to move on before we get too deep into facial hair talk um what's been um probably the scariest has there been something that's been the scariest thing as being a dad or that scared you more than you thought it would or um scariest things yeah it's it's um there's been lots of scary things you know scariest is probably a tough one um is there something that kind of like followed like this constant maybe fear or things that you think about with regards to being a dad uh, i mean yeah there's there's constant fear of am i doing a good enough job Mm -hmm. you know i am a, a very um I'm driven by growth mm-hmm. and I have a desire to be the, I think we all do, but you know, I have a desire to be the best that I can be constantly. Mm-hmm. And I stopped making that comparison between other people and myself. And it's just, it's a constant desire to grow internally and compare myself to who I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, am I doing a good enough job as a dad? Like, am I setting this kid up to be the best person that they can be? Um, or at least try to be the best person that they can be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the key thing. Um, as far as, like, fear itself, yeah, I mean, my son had a surgery when he was a little kid, and 
um, you had to be put under. That was scary. Mm-hmm. You know, just, how old? Uh, two or three. I mean, it wasn't anything major. It was like it's just tooth. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you know the anesthesia wakes waking up and screaming like I can only imagine. I can't imagine. You know, there's a lot of different people uh, who have had to, who have lost children because of. You know, whether it's cancer or whether it's uh, somebody like Amy Darby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Um, but, like, it, it's, yeah, I have so much empathy for that. You know, my son smashed his head and had to get some stitches because he was playing around on a pile of metal. Go, go <laughs> f- Dad of the Year award over here, right? We were at, we were at the welding shop, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, just seeing the blood poured out out of the back of his head is scary as crap. I was a walking accident. I think I had yeah. stitches probably a dozen times before I turned 10. Um, that was crazy. You know the Kesslers? I, I, yeah. I wrecked a moped going down their driveway one time. Or a oh, yeah. moped, a dirt bike going down their driveway one time and, like, ripped my arm open. And, yeah, I can, I've done some pretty dumb things. I think that's, that's just called being a boy. I can't tell you how many times at JMU I got stitches skateboarding. And... <laughs> I'm surprised I'm alive. <laughs> every i think every adult man says that at some point yeah yeah and i had i had two i had two brothers as well but um my brothers didn't have that happen, really though. it oh, was me man. man i was yeah well i was i, I had was no fear yeah i was the um i was the kid that would f- would be the one to fall like if we're going on and a river that was frozen. I was the kid that fell through the ice. My brothers would make it through. I would fall through. If we we're swinging on a vine, it br- always broke on so, me. So I'm going to change this. I was the kid that wouldn't fall. Really? And therefore, yeah. I had this like, mm. oh, I'm going to try it all. Like, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to fall on that jump over there snowboarding. I'm going to go over the bigger one. Yeah. I... And, and it kind of like... Yeah, there was a fear attached to it, but maybe it gave me this level of like unrealistic confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it did the exact opposite for me. I got to the point where I was like, "No, if I'm gonna try it, I'm gonna fall." So screw it. Yeah. Um, but I, sorry, I'm laughing about. I don't want to laugh about your kid getting stitches, but I think every boy has a story like they were playing on something they shouldn't be playing on. Oh, hundred percent. And it led like I was climbing a spiked fence when mm-hmm. I was six fell and landed on the spike on my thigh and then fell someplace else yeah sorry about sorry about your luck roy yeah (laughs) no everything was safe there um (laughs) but uh yeah i had i I had a uh i fell five feet after falling on the spike and i remember i mean it was just it's like you have no business being on a spiked fence but i mean every fence man you gotta climb it yeah that I'll tell you, that's one of the scariest things for my wife because she constantly tells me about how she's like she knows that there's things that he's gonna do, our little boy, and it's just like she she stays awake sometimes thinking about all these things that he might be doing. She ruminates on it. Yeah, huh? she ruminates yeah. on it, and I just you gotta get out of that mind. I tell her, you know, it's gonna be all right. She doesn't do it all the time, but I can tell that if there's one that's a little bit more fearful, she might be a little bit more fearful. But I mean, we'll see. Um, what's been, what's been kind of the hardest thing being a dad? Um, yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing is for me and and I have a unique situation Mm -hmm. is being, uh, 
single dad with uh, not just a single dad, like my son doesn't go to his mom's on the weekend. Like he lives with me seven days a week. And then that and running a business Mm -hmm. that provides for our family Mm -hmm. um, and balancing them. You know, it's not balance. It's not a work-life balance thing for me because I think people who are looking for a work-life balance don't love what they do, and I love what my, I love what I do. I love I love what it brings. Um, it's really balancing, uh, being able to provide for him because mm-hmm. honestly, like I could I could change jobs and go get a nine to five and work for somebody else, but it wouldn't give me the ability to be there to drop him off at school every morning. Uh, and then go pick them up every day. You know, I drop them off at nine ten every morning, and then I go pick them up from school at four o'clock on the dot every day. Like standard nine to five wouldn't allow me to do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, it gives me the ability to, you know, if we want to do something, and especially during the summer times, like there's days that I, you know, I'm like I, I'm not gonna go to work. I'm gonna choose my son and, and that priority first, and do that. And and luckily I have incredible uh two incredible guys that work for me mm-hmm. and um one of my biggest criteria when i hire people is is not their skill set it's integrity mm-hmm. I, I heard warren buffett say it one time and i was like oh that's good mm-hmm. and so uh you know the the guy that really runs things around my shop is he's just full of it and they hold they hold it down and get it done and, and allow me to do what uh what's the most important thing to me and that's to be a good example to my son and and to be present with him like we were talking about a minute ago so Mm -hmm. so um you talked about balance um the balanced male i know because so we're gonna have to talk about that um we'll get into the job later because i think it's a really cool story because you do work for yourself shout out to benevolent design um but how so so you say you're a single dad you know, you have, um, you have your job. And so how, like, what are some practice, is there a practical things that you do? Is it a decision that you make every day? But how do you find that balance? Um, the balance for me is the other things in life that I might like to do. Mm-hmm. I give up. Okay. Because, I mean, I... Like what? What do you mean? Like what you would like to do? Um. Well, here let let me let me give you my daily routine for the okay. most part, and it doesn't happen every day. And I get I I have an extremely one of the biggest issues that I have in my life, and 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 it's something that you know I can't even say I I I've spent a lot of time trying to accept or trying to change, and I'm I'm learning now to try to accept it or to accept it, and mm-hmm. I am I'm doing better at it. Um, but I am very hard on myself Mm -hmm. and it's one of my biggest blessings and one of my worst curses. Okay. Uh, so for me, I'm like, okay, how do I optimize everything that I can possibly do? And I'm like massive into like biohacking Mm -hmm. and all the good stuff along those lines and nutrition and health. And, and we can get into that in a minute, but it, um, I just try to, to maximize every single hour of the day. And if something is not productive, then I cut it out. Uh, and it's because of where I am in life. You know, it's it's a matter of, for me, if I am if I'm, if I don't get the proper stuff done at work, that means that I don't make enough money so that I can't provide for 
I can't keep a roof over our head and our lights on and food on the table, you mm-hmm. know? And so that's not, I can't give up on that. So what I, what I probably give up on is, and it's some people have looked at it as me being, um, I'm very introverted, so I don't talk a lot, believe it or not. You know, I, I can, I can, I, I'm really good at conversations like this, but I, like if you put me in a crowd of 50 people, like I just don't like it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, my social life is probably the first thing that went okay. right off the bat and being young and, you know, 20, 26, when, when my son was born, um, it was gone, done. And I had a lot of friends that, you know, and even when I was married, like it was, it was more gone, but, uh, I used to be a sales rep for surf brand back then. And it was one of the first things that went and like people probably used to think that not probably like I've heard it. I've had people tell me that I thought that I was too good for, for other people. And I'm like, nah, you guys just don't get it. And because that's where they were at life. And Mm -hmm. I, I had to respect that and, and, uh, have empathy if you would. Um, but I would say that's the biggest one. Like for me, my daily routine is I wake up first thing and I'm all about morning routines. You gotta have them. It's, it, it, trains your subconscious to do and be uh the best that you can be um so i wait i try to wake up early some mornings i do it some mornings i hit snooze 10 times Mm -hmm. it really just depends on your sleep the night before and everything else like that and i'm all about like the mornings actually start the night before so i i wake up early i have to spend time for myself like i uh i journal i have a gratuity journal that i write in every morning i typically make a cup of coffee uh it's become tea like we were talking about earlier (laughs) and i have to spend that time myself that's my alone time like that's my time uh that i get to be a little selfish and because i truly do believe as much as we've been talking about selflessness you have to take care of yourself to be the most selfless person you can be like if you don't and if you put everybody else before yourself you're not going to run the best that you can you can run and therefore you're not going to be able to be the best parent that you can be. I know like think about even in a relationship, like when was the last time you snapped at your significant other nine times out of 10, it wasn't what they did. It's other things that are happening in your life or you're stressed out over something else. Preach that man. Oh yeah. All day long. Right. Oh, I look back at my marriage and I'm like, okay. and, And not to get into like what happened, but like I play just as much of a role of, it ending then uh you know then i would in the very beginning probably point the finger at, at her a lot more mm-hmm. and it's something that i i had to take full responsibility for and it took me years to figure that out but yeah you have to be selfless or selfish to be more selfish um but as soon as as soon as eight o'clock rolls around like i have to be dad yeah I wait i hell you know my son is like sleeps like a log man um, and I'm trying, I'm trying alarm clocks and everything else and trying to get him to take more responsibility, but he just, he's going through growth spurts right now. He went from a size seven, seven and a half in the springtime mm-hmm. sandal when I bought him sandals this year to a size nine Jeez. when we bought back to school shoes. Wow. He slept like 12 hours every night. Like it's just growing. Oh, it's crazy. It's wild to see that, isn't it? Oh, it's insane. Yeah. And he's like, dad, nobody, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, dude. See, you, you have armpit hair now. It's weird. <laughs> he's like, why are you going to talk about it? He's actually the one that says it's weird. He's like, man, don't say that. That's weird. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm all about, like, 
the funny things or like I just try to embarrass them. But I only do it. Here's the most important thing: as I do it publicly on a podcast, I really only do it in front of him. Yeah, and totally. he knows that yeah. there's a trust factor mm-hmm. that like I we can rat, harass each other a little bit, mm-hmm. and that you know you got to have some humor and you got to play around and you got to do that kind of stuff. But it's it's only between us. So back to the main point: like as soon as eight o'clock hits, it's it's him. I get him ready for school. And then I drop them off, and I'm straight to, to work, and I work the whole time, mm-hmm. the, the whole day. Uh, you know, unless some weird random distraction happens, and that's one of the joys of working for yourself. Like, where else – there's something wrong with entrepreneurs to want to work 80 hours a week. Oh, yeah, totally. To avoid a 40-hour-a-week work schedule, mm-hmm. but that's that's a different problem I have, right? Um, so 4 o'clock, I, I go pick him back up. I go back to the shop for like an hour and a half or so. And then by that time, uh, I usually leave around six if I can. Uh, sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's eight. You know, if he if he goes over to a buddy's house, which he's starting to do more now, and it's really cool and it's good, and it, it um I love it. You know, uh, not that I don't love every single second that I get to spend with him, but it it um that happens. But most of the time, like from there, it's straight back to my house, and I gotta cook dinner. Mm-hmm. And I got to provide, and there's nobody else to help me cook dinner. So one of the hardest things, like this, is getting into that that aspect of it a little bit more too, is like it's it's dinner time. By the time we're done done doing that, like it's usually pretty late. And guilty pleasure, we've been watching. He and I both have become kind of very big Marvel fans nice. and like DC fans, and like we went through all like the the Flash and yeah, you know, I, I I typically wouldn't turn on the TV if he wasn't there, but together we're like we That's went cool. through them all, yeah. like and we watched all those. We're watching like Agents of Shield, yeah, uh-huh. like it's pretty funny, um, but we love it. And then at that point, like man, it's it's almost not like I try to read for an hour before I go to bed every night, and day's over yeah like so all the other fun stuff the social stuff the you know for me i would probably spend a lot more time surfing and in the water um it's it's all those other aspects i kind of had to give up because those are my two priorities in life Mm -hmm. and they each depend on each other if Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah or at least work yeah i mean i can't get a uh, i could and i'm telling myself a limiting belief right now but i can't get a regular job because I wouldn't be able to, for me, be the parent that I want to be. And to be the parent I want to be, I really have to put in hard work at my job. And, and that's like that's just the part of life that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. And now that he's getting older, I can leave him in the house. Like, he's cool with the house. Like, I can leave him there if I want to go out and, and uh, if I have an event that I need to go to for one night. Like, no big deal. Like, I went to a podcast for um, uh, the guys at Furative. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg that started Fruitive the other day and he was at home playing video games I'm sure <laughs> so it's, I mean hopefully that you know talk, talking about like you know what if I had to give up like it's not and it's not what I've given up because I do it all day long I do it over again it's like I stopped thinking that way and what's the most important to me mm-hmm. and it's those two things right now because the cool thing is and I know you want to ask me about benevolent like that's a tool for me to be have an impact on the world mm-hmm. in a way that like a normal nine to five wouldn't allow me so yeah I no, you answered it I think it's I think what you're kind of saying is kind of how I I try to focus on balance it's what do I want 
And once I find those things, what I want and what I value, then I choose to do these things that will get me that. And that's kind of what you're doing. You want this structured life. You want this life for your, your son and for you. So you do the things that are going to promote you know, you know, that most and fill that. Most people can't tell you what they want. They can tell you what they don't want. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I, uh, I, it took me it took me years to find out really what it is I want. I don't, and I'm not saying like I want a car, or I want shoes, or I want that. It's like, yeah, but what, what you want out of life? Yeah, what drives your soul? Mm-hmm. What yeah. drives my soul? And so I found those things, and that's what I try to fill it with. And and I do. I love that you were talking about the morning routine because I mean, oh my God, is that killer? Especially for I meditate me. in there too. Yeah, and I go to the gym. Yeah. So it kind of depends on the day. So. Yeah, and it's you know for me, I'm up at five every morning. I envy you. That well because I, I work with I have a room of twenty three nine year olds uh, that I go I'm with for seven and a half hours of the day and so if I'm not ready for that then all fucking hell breaks loose right so I have to do these things to 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 help my my mind my heart and my soul so that I'm ready to attack that well not attack that. I don't want to say attack when it's involving kids but to to function in a way that is promoting positivity to do the best that you can yeah and um. It's funny that you mentioned you have to be selfish to be selfless in a way because, you know, I have to take that time to be the best me I can be. I have to go to the gym. And it's been such a a struggle because, you know, the gym, you know, you have to carve out time for that. And, yeah, some social things come out that might you might lose that or, yeah, it changes like the amount of time I have. But at the end of the day, it's so worth it because I look it back at what I was and what I was doing and, and it just wasn't fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool to see like, Oh, these things, it works. Yeah. And to hear other people doing that, it's just, I mean, it's, it's important to find that balance. And, and I mean, gratuity journals, I mean, I've journaled too. I meditate too. I, I'm always reading something. Um, so that's cool. And it's cool that you can find, you can see that it's working. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so then we can talk about, we'll just lead right into, because you started your company, Benevolent Design, mm-hmm. and you were doing one job. You were the surfer up, because I remember, I remember you had a, a sample sale in, uh, when Back Bay, wasn't full, Back Bay Brewing wasn't fully completed, and I remember you had a sample sale, and it was like you were trying to get rid of, just you just had all these things that you were trying to get rid of. Dude, that was oh, years ago. I have, I have. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah I remember because I, I used to love. I, I used laid to, out shoes and sandals all over the place in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to. I love and hate sample sales because sample sales, I could always find hats, but I never found shirts and stuff because it's never yeah. made. Samples were not made for a guy who's six one two forty. You know why that's the case though? Why? It's because they hang the best. Really? Yeah. So imagine if I had, uh, and I'm not saying your size but like what if i had a double xl t-shirt that i was trying to hang and show uh, a client you know on a hanger like it would just look droopy and and weird right really yeah so so a standard size uh, standard medium t-shirt or large t-shirt excuse me is uh it looks the best on a hanger and it's from there that when they design things um that is has always been an industry norm uh-huh. And so they, they size things from there, and then in proportion, they go up and they go down. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, yeah, there's a couple different things that are in there. So uh, a 32 waist fits fits most pant hangers correctly, and a size large t-shirt. And for a last for a shoe, 
is uh, typically a size nine. So yeah, <laughs> think, 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 if, think if I was showing somebody a size twelve shoe as a sample, it'd look like a boat. Yeah, it would. Yeah. It would. Um, so that's cool. Didn't know that before. Yeah. But so um, it, it wasn't intentionally done to, to spite guys. Yeah, yeah. Bigger, it makes sense. But uh, but yeah. But so but you quit that, and then you started Benevolent Design. It's it's a really cool project. I really. Like when you've explained it the first time, I thought it was super awesome what you did. But so the two things is what is benevolent design and two, like how has that, has that sort of impacted fatherhood at all for you? And yeah. One at a time. Yeah. One at a time. So what is benevolent design? So when I was a sales rep, I I traveled through the mid Atlantic States. So I had Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland, Delaware, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky at one point, like South, mm. you know, I think I said South Carolina, uh, Georgia, your home state. Um, yep. And I had to do a, a, a lot of traveling. Um, and some of that traveling went from uh, the interstates, city to city. Some of them went back country roads and stuff. And when I got divorced, for me, it was, um, I just, I've always been a hands-on dad. I think you guys, I think you can already gather that. Um, that played a big part in it. I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I wasn't putting as much effort into it because of that. Um, you know, I was, I was on the road probably a third of the year driving, uh, all over the place. And, um, yeah, I mean, my, my son, I I had to give up 50% of the time with him at the time being. And then I was, you know, traveling there were certain days that i just couldn't i wasn't flexible with i had to work around that schedule but i had to give up extra days on top of that and it didn't last for long um so that played a big part in it but while i was doing that um i uh i ended up you know daydreaming on a lot of car rides especially through the country roads Mm -hmm. and looking at these barns and old abandoned buildings that were all over the place and just seeing an inner beauty inside of them. Um, and for me, like I, I had a bad taste in my mouth with the surf industry and how, and this is all, you know, the things that we, we stories we make up in ourselves, like with how corporate America had kind of, well, this isn't a story it's a fact, but it's how you respond to it, how corporate America had come in. And, you know, when I first started as a sales rep, it was a very, um, friendly relationship based industry and job mm-hmm. and then by the time it was done all the big brands were being bought by uh, public or they were turned public and they were you know it, was, it wasn't it, we weren't selling our lifestyle anymore it was more about selling widgets mm-hmm. and as a sales rep we were a number and uh, yeah it was just weird man I could have been selling pencils it didn't make a difference um it was all about hitting sales goals and which I mean was important anyway, but like even more important, you know, stockholders to, to re, to respond to it. And that's not what the surf industry was ever about. And, uh, so that happened. There was a couple of different things and I was just not happy and I, I needed to, to move on. Um, that said it, uh, yeah, I, I ended up, kind of saying i'm going to start building furniture 
and I saw the wood and I was like, you know, there's there's beautiful stuff underneath there. I had in, in the surf industry, and they correlate quite a bit. In the surf industry, I had um, I had done a lot of display work. Mm-hmm. I've always been very hands on. I actually started in, as a sales rep because I was working at a, a rep's house and doing, you know, just a bunch of carpentry type stuff. And he was like, "Man, I was I was living in Costa Rica at the time. I was home for a couple. I was home for for to renew my visa and try to make some money and stuff right out of college." And, um, you live in Costa Rica, right? Yeah, out of I, I oh, graduated wow. in December. I went down there for. I think I ended up spending a total of about six months. I was going to take a job down there as a property manager for a friend of mine's dad who owned twelve acres right on the beach in Santa Teresa, and it was like pff, dream and mm-hmm. uh, interesting. I um, I went back after this happened. He offered me a job, and he was just like, "Hey, you know, when whatever you decide to do, you know, if you come back, he was like, I'll put you to work." So to get a job at like one of the major surf brands, one of the brands that you probably wore when you were a kid, little kid, yeah, um, was was like an offer like that was pretty rad. Because normally you have to come in underneath somebody in a position like mm-hmm. that, or you have to take a really small brand and grow it yourself to turn it into something big, uh, to have a sustainable career in, yeah. in that kind of industry. Mm-hmm. And so. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. I can always go back to the carpentry stuff. Yeah. And so, and I wanted to like, I, that. that's what I thought my life path was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So as a sales rep, I was doing a lot of carpentry type stuff and, and building uh, building displays out. And, and, you know, I made some coffee tables to go in front of the displays that sat next to benches and things along those lines. And uh, after I got divorced, I was dating a girl and she had me build this like little liquor thing like bar shelf shelving unit thing and uh jokingly somebody was like man you should open an etsy account and i was like you know what man i should and i built a coffee table that people were commenting on in my house at the time and i was like i'm miserable i think i'm gonna build furniture <laughs> yeah it was it was like one of those epiphany moments and i get these gut instinctual moments i've always been very attuned with my with my body and uh and yeah, I was I was like, that's what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna do it out of reclaimed wood, and it's gonna be because like the reclaimed wood, and I had pulled some stuff off some barns at the time, like even when I was still repping, and like pulled over on the side of the road and pulled around the back behind a barn and hid my truck and pulled boards off, and like man, whoever owns this is just letting it fall apart, like they're not gonna miss it. Yeah. Um. And and started building some random stuff and. You know, besides the carpentry skills, I didn't know what I was doing, and uh, and yeah, it's, it one thing led to another, and I was like, this is what I'm gonna do, and it's really cool because I like reclaimed wood in the surf industry, very environmentally friendly. They're talking about the ocean all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that I picked that up subconsciously. It, it means a lot to me. I think uh, you know the stuff that we're doing to the world right now is is massive and it's on a much bigger scale than any of us individually can fix Mm -hmm. so the best way to do that is to change your own uh impact that you have so for me like that's why reclaimed wood was so important Uh, the other thing is i think it's a great analogy for life and we've all heard the story about like especially growing up in a christian home and in school like you the nail and the board and and Mm -hmm. you know jesus comes in and he can pull the nail out but the hole's always still there right Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, that hole makes it that much more beautiful. Wow. 
like especially if it's been in there for a long time <clears throat> like the iron from a nail that seeps into the wood and mixes with the tannins in the wood that turn it gray and black is not something that you can replicate like it's something beautiful so if you can take this old beat up weathered board and turn it into something more beautiful than you could go get that's brand new today like mm-hmm. how much of an analogy for life is that like i look at every single lesson that i've learned and the driving factors that have made me who i am today and a lot of it came from painful situations or mistakes that i've made that i had to learn lessons the really really hard way so i'm like this is crazy mm-hmm. and so from there like you know, I, I, I was like pretty hard on it and uh, on sticking with the reclaimed wood. And that's why I chose what it was. And so what we do is we started building furniture out of it. Um, I ran into a friend of mine that I grew up with and he was like, hey, we're building. What are you what are you doing? I hadn't seen him in a long time. I was like, oh, I'm building furniture now. And he's like, OK. Uh, I was like, what are you doing? He was like, I'm opening up a brewery. It's like he was like, maybe you could sell some tables at the brewery. I was like. <laughs> going back to like hurting ourselves right yeah. like like no fear of anything yeah. i had no clue what i was doing i was like hey maybe you should just let me build your brewery for you <laughs> that's how it started and that's i was like i was like wow. he was like okay and i met with him and his wife and showed him a couple small pieces of heart pine that i had built and uh i actually had a barn that i had taken down out in creeds which overlooks back bay and you could see, you could stand on the top of this thing and see the water. Shut up. Yeah, really crazy story, what? right? Like very serendipitous. And a lot of my stories is like that. Uh huh. So it was, um, yeah, we we were I, when that happened. That's where all the the barn tin on the walls inside there. That's where it came from. So we ended up putting it inside of there, and from one thing led, led to another, and yeah, we ended up I ended up doing that everything except for the electrical and the plumbing, and. Did you do the uh, light fixtures? I did the light fixtures. Those, uh, okay, we don't need to talk. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I did the light fixtures too. <laughs> I don't do light fixtures anymore, so don't ask me to do light fixtures. I won't. Um, wow, that's really, so the story is really cool. Um, I remember going in, you know, you go, being at Zeke's, you know, I'm, I've watched how Back Bay Brewing sort of like developed, and you'd walk in and it's, it's an interesting thing because you talk about reclaiming wood for furniture when you sit in an ikea chair no offense to ikea or something that's been produced yeah something that's been produced in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. versus something that was made a hundred or so years ago there's a difference Mm -hmm. to that Mm -hmm. and it's almost like it's like it's there's this like i don't know energy to it and so you know it's atmosphere it's lighting it's the whole nine yards like yeah one of some of my best uh best stories is is uh in the very beginning uh there were some guys that had commented on the beer being mediocre on yelp and but they said the atmosphere is great so go there just for that <laughs> that's so funny and and, and they've changed brewers numerous times since yeah, then uh-huh. and, and uh now they have the farmhouse that yeah. we we did as well and they've really stepped up their beer game quite a bit mm-hmm. uh they're building they're making ciders out there now too at yeah. the farmhouse and uh 
yeah, it's come a long ways, but in the beginning, man, it was, there was, it was a little rough and, and, uh, I just remember those comments and the, the brewer at the time, like hated them. It of was course. pretty, it was yeah. pretty funny, but yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's something subconscious to uh-huh. designing something, uh, especially in the commercial space like that, that it, it it brings about a certain energy to it yeah. that you, you know, and a lot of it is the lighting that you talk to mm-hmm. or talked about, but like just the heart and soul that goes into it. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's transferred over. Yeah. You know, I remember I get super hippy dippy on this, but I won't. <laughs> Cause I remember like I, w- I sat at one of the tables and one of them has a hole from, I don't think it was from a nail, but it was from like the knot yeah, yeah, yeah. in the wood. And I, I kept, like my friend kept spilling his beer because it would hit oh, the yeah, hole, I, I, I and um, numerous times. But it still didn't. It didn't matter. I got like, a little. I got a little too artsy on a couple of those pieces in there for sure. Yeah, but I didn't care, and he didn't care because you're sitting at this dope table uh, that looks amazing, and you can tell like it was handmade. And yeah, it's it's so it was so awesome. It's the same thing when you go to like these lofts where they've taken an old factory and like instead of tearing down bringing it back to life is such a it's such a cool thing and it it does so much more than just provide for homes you know yeah and so that's really cool that you do that um and the quality of materials too i mean mm -hmm. just to strictly like it, it was especially reclaimed lumber. There's, I could go on and on about just how much nicer the lumber itself is mm-hmm. than anything that you would get today and how the rings are tighter and the wood's denser and it's, it's more stable. And there's, um, there's that aspect of it mm-hmm. as well too. Uh, a lot of the stuff today is not made with quality in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, even on a living organic level, like the trees that are used in, the the lumber industry today that are reforested like we have more planted trees we've done a really really good job at in the u.s about reforesting things and you know the lumber industry has got a very cyclical thing going on now Mm -hmm. um but even that wood is not it's not the same quality as the stuff from back in the day and uh i mean just hell think about it. it it as a as a um out in the open in a barn to, to survive for a hundred years without rotting and not needing to be pressure treated kind of says something about it, right? Oh yeah. Now totally. if you put a piece of wood from Home Depot outside, it would rot in a couple, couple years if it mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't pressure treated and filled with chemicals and all that kind of stuff. Really good analogy to, uh, to once again, to life and, and ourselves, like, like you don't, you don't need all the chemicals and you don't need it. It's all nutrition. And you know, mm-hmm. I can go into that tangent for a long time too. So, yeah. And it, you know, I mean, I'm experiencing it right now. Cause I mean, we're both sitting in chairs that were made, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's chairs that even though like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like, Oh my gosh, they're old. Like, why do we still need it? But mm-hmm. they're here, they're comfortable, they work. And you know, I know the story behind why we have these chairs that they're from, you know, my, my wife's mother's mom uh-huh. and they just continue to get handed, handed down. And so there's kind of like something when I think about that, it's like, you know, it's worth it to have it. I will you say know? this though. There's a time period where your wife's mother, the chairs from that era is when you know mass production really started kicking off mm-hmm. and it's not worth recycling those things. A lot of yeah. them are pretty crappy. Well, we, she's, she's got rid of those things. Yeah, yeah, she yeah, has yeah. got rid These of those. These are not them, but I, yeah. you know, just mm-hmm. a lot of people call me and they're like, 
I've got these, uh, you know, we're tearing down a house that was built in 1985 and uh, it has this wood in it. And I'm like, I don't care. It's crappy. It, like, yeah, you can get rid of that. <clears throat> like, I don't, I want the stuff that's even older than yeah. that. And it's, it's even got more character and it's super unique. And it's something that, you know, is, um, it is a diminishing resource, but there's still a lot of it out there. Yeah. So. Cool. So, so how has changing the trajectory of your life i mean it, the path the choosing to do this has that reshaped your approach to fatherhood has that shifted anything um taught you new lessons to you know teach your son anything like that so a lot of it a lot of that all happened around the same time like once again talking about painful experiences mm-hmm. shaping who we were uh i in, in a short period of time my um my my father died um, my, who was, you know, the, the role model that I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier, my, um, you know, my marriage came to an end, uh, financially I wasn't in a good place and it was a pretty painful experience. And those things all happening, coinciding together really gave me awakening and to my mindset, to, to a level of, um, just awareness mm-hmm. that I have that I don't think a lot of society has to this day anymore you know and this goes into and I, I deal with this with my son constantly like hey dude don't mindlessly just play on your phone you know that's because you're not facing reality and you're you're avoiding you know people don't know how to just sit mm-hmm. you know yeah so there's there's that side of it I think all that stuff kind of started happening and for me opened up a um a period of growth in my life that really kicked off more than anything else and so i i instantly threw it into learning woodworking and i I have a really hard time being satisfied Mm -hmm. and content and it's something that i used to you know try to try to um i i thought was wrong with me and that i needed to fix and I've gotten to a point now where I accept it. And I, I, mm-hmm. I don't like being stagnant in life. And I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to improve. And I'm always trying to get better. And so it really started around that time period, the awareness side of it. So instantly went into woodworking. I really learned how to put together the basics of it all. And, you know, I really learned about lumber. And I really learned about... Uh, what we were building the same time I, I had uh, I really wanted a motorcycle and I got a motorcycle and I ended up chopping the, the soft tail off of it taking it to a friend's shop to um, professional welders they welded on the hardtail and let me weld for the first time and I was like whoa like talk about something like testosterone mm-hmm. like you're taking molten steel and fusing them together at thousands of degrees. I was like, whoa, this is really freaking cool. And I called the bug for that. And I did a crappy job. I still have the bike today. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not running, but it sits there. And I look at the welds and I was like, man, those things look like boogers. Like they're, they're pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Right? And and uh, so I was like, and that said too, somebody commented on some welds in Back Bay Brewing when I first started. Because that was the first thing that I really ever welded. And uh, I heard these two guys in there one day, and they were like, not knowing that the guy behind the bar that was bartending, because I had to supplement my income a little bit and try to make ends meet, um, was the guy that built everything, and they were just ripping it apart. 
ripping the stuff apart. And I was like, that really helped fuel that desire to grow mm-hmm. even more, I think. Um, where now, like, I look at, you know, and I, I still am, it's all about not comparing yourself to others. I look at what I do now compared to what I did, you know, seven years oh, yeah, ago. And I'm course. like, holy crap. I actually posted on Instagram the other day uh, a weld from Beecroft and Bull, which is one of the first, I built some little display tables for them. And granted, they wanted it to look rustic and, and beaten and worn and torn, but like that compared to their new store that I did, and the welds in there, and they're like night and day difference. Like one's perfect dime stacks rolled up on it, and the other one's just like once again looks like somebody like snot on it and like mm-hmm. wiped a bunch of boogers all over it. So it's it's constant growth mm-hmm. has really has really pushed it, and uh, you know from there it turned into um, you know learning how to weld, learning how to run a business properly, you know, instead of just creating a hobby for myself to do. Like, Mm -hmm. ultimately, if you're a small business owner and you work for yourself, by yourself, and that's it, you haven't created a business, you've created a job for Mm -hmm. yourself, which is fine. Some people are happy there. I'm not. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I was like, okay, how do I take this to the next level? It's constantly the question that I ask myself. Like, I had to learn how to run. I went to business management school. And I don't remember any of it. Like, it was so non-applicable yeah. to what I do. Because they didn't teach me about small business. They taught me, taught me about corporate America. And so I'm like, okay, I, a P&L sheet is what? Like, a cash flow report? Like, what is that? Like, so I had to spend a lot of time looking at that stuff and learning that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I have a very, like, clear vision of where I want to be who I want to become mm-hmm. and the impact that I want to have and everything else. And I'm like, okay, constantly trying to grow to get to that point. So, so how is that like back to the fatherhood thing, like shaped or reshaped or for me, there's been times where I, um, have doubted myself mm-hmm. and I've let that inner villain creep into mm-hmm. my head. Right. That yeah. thing that says you're not good enough. Cause we all have two basic fears. The yeah. fears of not being loved and the fear of not being enough. Mm-hmm. Hands down, no questions asked. Every single person, every single thing that you're scared of can be traced back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've let that creep up into my mind numerous times. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, no, I have to tackle that. These are my dreams. This is what I want to have happen. you got to keep some flexibility in there. But I'm going to keep on pushing forward and, and, and being who I want to be and creating what I want to create and Ultimately, I found my why a long time ago, and it fuels me. It's it's not mm-hmm. a financial thing. It's not a materialistic thing. It's a it's a giving back, um, which is incredible because there's really I, I went through a massive coaching business, you know, mm-hmm. personal life coaching stuff, all that kind of stuff. You've done some of it, but um, you know, there's really two basic fundamental spiritual needs that every single person has. And there's six total needs that we all have. So, so right, you, you could go uh, certainty, um, mm-hmm. uncertainty. So certainty, like, we need to know that we have food on the table to survive. Like, we mm-hmm. need to know that we have a roof over our head, that basic protection. But if, if everything, you knew everything that was going to happen in life, you would be bored out of your freaking mind. Mm-hmm. So there's also a level of uncertainty that you have to deal with, too. And then another need that we all have is significance. Like, and... For me in the beginning, the significance was a lot higher because I was like, I, you know, in its youth, it's it's driven by ego, which is not like the stereotypical like ego. Everybody has an ego, right? Period. I don't care yeah. who you are. You have an ego. 
it's it's ingrained inside of her head. It's the thing that is in your mind that you hear talking to yourself, if you would, right? Um, so there's the significance. There's um, there's love and connection. We all need a certain level of it. And then the two spiritual ones are growth and um, growth and contribution. So for me, like I found my needs, and you can rank them. Like you might need to feel really certain. Certainty to me does not mean much. Yeah. Like I don't need to be certain. Like I took the risk of starting my own business. That's a really risky thing. Um, it just doesn't mean anything to me. And there's not a right or a wrong between any of them. But for me, like I'm driven by growth and contribution. Like I want to give back to society. I want to help people, uh, whether it's uh, being a positive influence on them or, or anything like that. So for me, like I found my why in the very beginning. And between that, like I know the path that I want to lead and I want to be the best example as possible mm-hmm. for myself. So to answer your question, I know that's a long tangent. I'm going to make it full circle here. Um, if I didn't, I don't think I would do, be doing myself justice. Okay, yeah. And, you know, I don't care what anybody wants to be or who they want to become. Like, whatever, I'm not going to tell him, like, you know how there's the parents that are like, you should be a doctor, like, you're really good at it. No, like, you need to find for yourself what you want to be. You need to find your why. Because if you find your why, there is not another day in your life that you have to work. Mm-hmm. Hands down. No yeah. questions asked. Like, And it, it's, for me, I found that. I've talked to him about it. I want to be a positive example. Like that means a lot to me. Both my, both my, I'm really driven by this spiritual gifts, mm-hmm. uh, and it, like I can't let anything hold me back. So, you know, that's like I want my son to see that and to witness that. And I really do believe. Now, granted, if you're not six foot six, you can't turn into Michael Jordan. <laughs> and, and six foot six is probably <clears throat> whatever it is short, but like. Ultimately, like, you can do anything and be anything you want to be. Like, and Mm -hmm. I look at what other people have done, and I'm like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Like, they just learned a skill set that I don't know. I just need to learn that skill set. And now's the greatest time ever to grow, to be alive, right? Hands down. Um, Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. All the negativity in the world, blah, 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 bull crap. Like, it is the greatest time to be alive. Because even 100 years ago, the most... The people with the most wealth possible still went to a bathroom in an outhouse and didn't have running water. Wow. You forget about that. Yeah. Like now we have such access to information that nobody has ever had. Even when we were growing up, we didn't even have it. Oh, yeah, totally. You can learn and be and do anything that you want to do. And if you're going to let something hold you back in identity, like I have a really hard time with – and this is going to come across really bad with like, you know, a feminist movement or a Black Lives Matter or, you know, I'm, you know, that's reverse discrimination and I'm white or I'm because honestly, that's people using their identity as an excuse to go to another level. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a lot of validity to every single one of them. Don't get me wrong. Like hands down, like black lives do matter. You know, mm-hmm. the feminist movement matters. Like, it really does. But the moment people start identifying that, and we need to bring attention to it, but if you identify yourself with that, then you're selling yourself short. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, I understand that there's a lot of people that don't have that perspective, but for me, I'm like, no, like, you're more than that. 
and and we need to fix these things and the way to fix them ultimately is to like how we treat each and every single person like i don't look at somebody and i'm, I'm like you're a feminist or you're black or you're white or like i look at them even deeper and we've had conversations even today about mm-hmm. like you're a soul like yeah. that's how i identify you not mm-hmm. even male or female like that's what changes the world mm-hmm. if you ask me so anyway I want my son to see that. Like, that's why I do what I do, and that's why I have the passion that I have, and that's why I work the way that I work, and that's why everything else, because I want to bring more attention. I want to sell more stuff so that I can give back more and mm-hmm. I can contribute to, to people, whether it's monetarily or even, like, just the ability, like, the fact that you're asking me about Benevolent Design Company and my process gives me the opportunity to have this conversation with people. And that's what changes the world to me. And that's what fuels me. So Nice. That's a long <laughs> answer. Sorry, dude. <laughs> nah, dude, that was perfect. Um, I guess it kind of ends ends up with the, the question of like, because I always like to ask dads, like, you know, what does fatherhood mean to you? Is, is, it, is, it, the, is it an authoritative thing? Is it a guide? Is it something? And would you say, it kind of sounds like it's more of like being an example. Would you say that's kind of what it means to you? Or is it different or? Being a father? Yeah. Because um, you've said example like so many times in this in this last like hour and a half. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so we had a, a religious conversation, a spiritual conversation before we even started yes. this. Thing, yes, right? we did. And uh-huh. not to go back on past histories or anything like mm-hmm. that, but. You know, I, I believe that there are universal laws mm-hmm. um, from religion to religion. And, and I grew up, uh, I am a Christian, I believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always was, you know, I'm very driven by science and, and uh, the, it's crazy, like all the way down to looking at our mitochondria and the way that they work mm-hmm. and they interact and the negative charges and ions that we have and all this other stuff and the way our 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 glucose and our you know fat interacts with our body and we get energy and the whole nine yards and how this whole world is running on this like constant energy like it's too crazy i think you have to have more faith to believe that there isn't a god than there is a god Mm -hmm. right yeah and for me like i just think that example like is is i think god really is love Mm mm-hmm I think he's a, I think it, I say he, and Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say he, that's the part that's programmed in me from, from the generations before. I don't think it's identifiable. Um, it being whatever it is. Um, we talked about that earlier too, but like, I think that, that God is, you know, it really is that, that feeling that we have deep down inside Mm -hmm. when we're at ease and our minds are at rest and we can just be mm-hmm. present. And that presence is an example. Is, is, wow, it's full circle the way this is going to come out. Like, that's why it's so important to be present with our kids. You know? Mm-hmm. That's why. And, and when you're present, you don't do things that are mean and mm-hmm. bad. And you don't snap. And you don't, you don't think about all the other things that have happened. Like you don't struggle with the anxieties. You don't struggle with the depressions. Like if you're truly present, you're kind, mm-hmm. you're, you're patient, you're, you have all the quality, like love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. You're not looking at your neighbor's 
uh, possessions. You're not looking at your neighbor's Instagram posts and being jealous of what they have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, talk about highlight reels and stuff like yeah, that, right? Yeah, right. Like, and, and I think that's ultimately what it means to me. Like, we're supposed to be an example to our kids in a way that, you know, this biblical example was supposed to be mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was lost in the teachings that we, you know, from the generations that we had before us, um, you know, and a lot of that came from a place of fear, which is not a place of presence. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, anything fear-based is, is, you know, anxiety is the fear of not knowing what's going to happen in the future. And depression is the fear of not having what you had in the past, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're present, you don't have that fear. You know, if... Yeah. If, if you see our parents, oh, I love the example of our parents on Facebook. Like, <laughs> you look at these good people that are constantly, like, they're so afraid. Like, if you're really afraid of somebody else's belief about religion or sexuality, it's because you're afraid that they're going to be right and you're going to be wrong and they're going to prove that in the future or that they're mm. going to take over and your belief isn't, isn't worthwhile anymore and that you're not good enough. <sighs> Right? Because truly, like, I love the analogy of, like, when you see the mean tweets. I don't remember what late night TV show it is, but Julia Roberts gets up there and she's like, reads these tweets about herself and all the different celebrities. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Julia Roberts is a fat pig that, you know, and they just, like, look at it and they just start laughing because they're like, this is not true. Like, I don't even yeah. need to acknowledge this, right? Yeah. Like, I really do believe, like, deep down inside, if we know that. We don't have to argue and we don't have to fight and we don't have to make these comments online and we don't have to like worry about somebody else's opinion or their sexual belief or their their gender or any of that stuff. I don't think it's mm-hmm. relevant. Yeah. If you take that approach to to, to life. Um, and I don't think that's what God did. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what fatherhood's supposed to be is is and don't get me don't get me wrong, man, like we're gonna screw up. Yeah, but that happened yesterday, and I need to be present and focus on today, and do the best that I can possibly do right now, and and share the most love as possible. And if we continue to pass that on to generations and generations, and if we have the people who didn't get to witness that um, and have that presence in their life when they were younger, mm-hmm. if they can uh, become conscious of it and awaken, you know, that in their own head. Uh, that's where you see, you know, those, those, the world change more than anything else to me. Nice. Yeah. Deep. I know it gets really deep. That's the purpose of it. I love it. But it's, I love that because you, you keep saying example. And I think why I want to keep bringing back the example is because if there's one, if there's one type of people that can call bullshit the most, it's kids. Mm-hmm. And so we forget it's almost like you know as a teacher i watch it's like oh, dude, they mimic us man oh they do it and, and i see that you know i haven't got to see it as much with with my son yet because he's only like four months four months old but with these kids like kids can see through the bullshit and see when this adult is just talking and not doing and um they need examples of how versus they need more examples of how and less of this is what you should do, like the talking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it, 
you know, sometimes, I mean, the hardest days for me at the school are spent because of how I'm talking to my students, mm -hmm. because I know that I can say something to them and that will, at that age, you know, how I talk to them can directly, in, in, what am I saying, affect how they're gonna live the rest of their lives. 100%. But I also feel like if we I'm- We all had that teacher that, that yeah. left such an impact on our life. Mm -hmm. Like I can look at I, my, my oceanography biology teacher mm -hmm. in high school, like I still like mm -hmm. to this day, I'm like so extremely grateful for it, you know? Yeah, but I have, I have, which is true, and, and I have on my wall, you know, one, I have be excellent to each other on my wall because I always wanted <laughs> Bill and Ted, that quote from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but be excellent to each other. So I have it on my wall, but if I'm not being excellent to everyone, these kids are going to see that. Oh, and they're going to be like, nah, Mr. C is just full of crap. And that's the last thing I want. And so it's the same thing I think with, with fathers is we have to, you know, we have to be the example so the kids are like, no, I do need to be kind. I see it in my dad. And that's, my dad was the example of that. And so I can interact, I can be that for, for my son. And the same thing, you saw your example with your dad and now you get to be that example. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's super powerful. And I'm really glad that you're bringing that up because we, we, we need less of people telling us what to do. And we need more people just kind of showing us. So, I think we've all seen the guy down at the oceanfront. Which one? Or in a, any major city <clears throat> that's mm -hmm. holding the big sign that's telling you to repent. Yeah. For your sins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's what like, I don't think that's what the Bible calls us to do. No, I don't think so either. And I, I and it gives religion a bad rap. I think ultimately, if you're gonna be, um, if you're gonna be a witness you're going to choose to live your life the way that, you know, we've been talking about mm -hmm. this whole time. I don't yeah. think you have to tell anybody no. anything. Mm -mm. You know, I just think you have to live and show them and have them feel it, like, mm -hmm. hands down. And, like, so your son, so, for example, your son seeing that you chose a path, you went for it, and it worked out, mm -hmm. doesn't tell them that every path they're going to choose works out, but it will tell them, they can make a choice. Same thing with Jasper. My son will see the fact that I chose to give everything to follow a girl based on love and that it worked out. And so like your circumstances, yeah, there are circumstances. They will have challenges if you choose to do this, but you ultimately, you can make a choice. But even, even deeper than that, like hopefully he sees the example of consciousness and presence. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and chooses to follow that same path because mm -hmm. he sees that things have worked out correctly mm -hmm. and that yeah, actually if they work out or not they're irrelevant true yeah w but we're not stuck like yeah. you can make a choice yeah. to go wherever you want to go yeah like that's all the stuff that people debate about mm -hmm. on a daily basis like for me it's like it's not what you tell somebody or what you do for them mm -hmm. it's how you make them feel yeah and that's the thing that I ultimately want him to take away from any example that I have, mm -hmm. like that I give him is like, it's how you make people feel. Mm -hmm. you, you give off positive energy. Do you make people feel excellent and fantastic? And like the words that we choose, like definitely change our states. And, you know, if I walked up to you and asked you, 
or if you walked up to me and asked me how I was doing today, and I like slumped over and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. like that suck. Like, would you want to be around somebody like that? <laughs> no, like it's 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 not the case. And but like, if you walked up to me and asked me how I was doing today, and I was like, dude, I'm fantastic, man. Like, I am so pumped to be alive right now. Mm-hmm. That's where the power of gratitude comes in because the things that we take for granted, we start paying more attention to. Yeah. The things that we're actually grateful for give us a level of energy that you, you wouldn't normally have if you were too busy worrying about all this other stuff, right? So if you can do that, it just it, it brings about a, a quality of life that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah, gratitude's a big thing. I, I, uh, I, you know, I've, I think for the last five, I think it's going on five years every day, I, I write five things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, my. It, it makes you start looking for the good things in life. Yeah. And whenever I'm stressed or if I'm ever frustrated about something, I always take a second and try to find a few things I'm grateful for because it helps you to focus on the positives a little bit more. And um, there's such a power in that, you know, like, yeah, you could be stuck in traffic, but if you're stuck in traffic, it's like, well, I'm in a car that's mine. So that's something, you know, my car's running. That's a good thing. And what I notice is as I do these things throughout my day, the, the thing that I'm so stressed out about usually eases out of the picture. And there's it, it's just it's wild to start, but starting with gratitude it's what I'm, you focus on. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's like when I tell kids, like, you know, I have progress, not perfection on my wall. And I do that because, so you take a test, you get 15 out of 100 wrong. You can focus on those 15 that you got wrong. But then if you sit back, and I was like, just just think about how it feels to focus on the 85 you got right. Like, which is bigger? And the kids always get there like, well, 85 is bigger. And they're like, oh, like, that's kind of cool. And so you focus on these positive things, the progress you make. And it's like, as you do that, you get more confidence. It builds up. And before you know it, there's 90 that you got right. And then all of a sudden, you've got 100 right. So we're going on, on a little bit of a tangent, but to, to what you're saying right now, mm-hmm. if you, where your attention goes, mm-hmm. or where your focus goes, your attention goes, that's where your energy flows. Yeah, right? totally. So if you, if you were to... Uh, and I love this analogy on what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. We're definitely mixing up, and I know we're running kind of wrong. No, go for it. Um, there's no. That's good. So if you focus on – if you're snowboarding mm-hmm. and you're in the trees in Colorado, and if you focus on the trees, guess what you're going to run into? The, the trees. The trees. Yeah. You have to focus on the path in between the trees to get through the the, the slope like you have to focus on where you're going yeah like I, I could sit here and tell you all the things that you don't want in life or you could and most people can tell you all the things you don't want in life but if you tell me like what you really want you start focusing on that and mm-hmm. then that's where your life starts going yeah like, and most people can't do that and it, it's all like if you focus on positive stuff then you're going in a positive direction mm-hmm. like your life's going to become better if you focus on like what you don't have, like, oh man, that person's got a great marriage over there. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be in this crappy marriage anymore. I don't want to be in this in this crappy job. Or mm-hmm. okay, well, you're gonna get out of that job. 
Yeah. And then you're going to mm-hmm. end up in another one that's not it's not really who you want to be. Yeah. You know? Because life will always answer. Yeah. It always oh, answer. And, and that yeah. said, man, yeah, life will always answer you. And it's mm-hmm. the law of attraction is totally real. It gets yeah. into mm-hmm. into a whole nother podcast on neurolinguistics in your brain and mm-hmm. pre-programming your reprogramming your subconscious, which is all legitimate. Like yeah. it's all been proven mm-hmm. to be true. And most people don't realize it that like every single time we have a thought or every single time we create a habit, it's like a it's like a string, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have one and I grab one end of the string and you grab the other, we can usually snap it in half real easily. Mm-hmm. Thread, right? Yeah. Real thin thread. But if 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 I have that thought and that habit a hundred times now we have a hundred threads wrapped up in a in a chain and it's a rope and you're grabbing one side and i'm grabbing the other side and it's hard to break mm-hmm. and the thicker those things happen then that's typically like how we get set in our ways totally and you have to you have to create good habits now those 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 threads can be broken mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of consciousness and a lot of awareness to do so and you have like you can create like that's where the habit of journaling on a gratuity thing on a daily basis like if you're a negative person and you just start journaling like tomorrow it's not going to make a big deal in your life Uh but i can tell you this like the more i did it the less negative negativity i had in my life Mm -hmm. and we all are going to have negative negative thoughts hence down that's Mm -hmm. where that's where meditation really comes in right but journaling like i just started seeing on a subconscious level more good in yeah. everything and everybody like even the people that like i had a serious problem with before in my life or that i might have said something negative about and made that mistake numerous times like we've all said something about somebody that we don't we aren't proud of right like i just started seeing the good in those people and the bad like started falling off falling off like mm-hmm. and that's another great example of of being a, a father you know and it all ties back in there together and it's really like i continue to work on myself and try to grow myself into being the best person i can be and creating the best habits that i can have and so that hopefully he follows in my footsteps yeah i think i think we're at a good place to to wrap um but i think what what i'm getting out of what you've been saying is it's it's more showing more examples being the example it's a presence and uh, being there for with them. And, you know, with that, you get the hope. You know, there's hope in that, I think. Um, so that's really cool. It's really awesome. Um, any last, last things you want to share with us? Anything? Last words? You good? I mean, I could talk for an hour. I, I could know. talk for 10. <laughs> we could go down so many I rabbit think, holes. I think we're in. Yeah, um, but once thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here. I say this every time, but I think it's there's power in what we're doing, and also I take it very seriously that you're opening up and allowing your words to be put out to everyone. So I take that. I don't take that very lightly. Um, yeah, it's great. You guys should check out Benevolent Design, um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, you can find this podcast on Spotify and iTunes and all sorts of other places but thanks fat pat for, i almost called you fat <laughs> thanks thanks pat for coming on and as always uh yeah be excellent to each other roy you're the man thanks man you are too